Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to finish our study of being a saint, our union in Christ. This has been a really fun study that we've seen over all these weeks. We've seen biblical truths concerning believers being set apart. And what we realized is that we have been set apart, we are being set apart, and we will be set apart. We realize that when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we're set apart in Christ. We are called saints. We're called holy ones. We're called children of God. Our goal is to realize our position as children of God, holy ones, and then to live that out in a fallen world. Now, that's, that's a lot easier said than done, to say, this is who you are in Christ, so let's live this out in a fallen world. But remember, that's really, really hard. Our, uh, think about this. Our position, I'm writing things on the board, our position is that we're holy and blameless in Christ, and then our progress our process, whichever one we want to put, is that we're growing to be like Christ. And then ultimately, this, this position and this process or progress all come together ultimately when we will be like Him uh, in the future. So one is a past tense, one is a present tense, and the other is the future tense. And so that's what we're seeing as we're doing this study. We want to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And as we finish this one, this lesson, if you look at your handout, this lesson is called The Challenge. And so there'll be some good things there. Well, as we start, let me raise this point. What, what, do, we, what do we think about? when we, What sets us apart as Christians? Is it the way we look? Throughout history, there's some people who let people know they're Christians by the way they look, by the clothes they wear, those kind of things. Is it the way we act? Is it the places we go? Is it the things that we consider important? Well, the truth is, all of this goes together. And when we say, how do we deal, how do we deal with people? Is it our attitude? Is it our actions? So you notice that I have just written there for the very first thing, it says Colossians 3.17. It says, whatever you do in word or deed. So Colossians 3.17 says, our words... And our deeds. And that's that's how we are. This is what we say and how we act. And this is how we come across. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that we're to be lights of the world. Light of the world. So as we finish this lesson, as we finish our course on sanctification, we're going to see a challenge. And the challenge is that the charge from God's Word that we live out who we are, that we seek to make a difference. We live in such a way that lines up with our position. In fact, as Ephesians 4.1 has said, walk worthy of our what? Of our calling in which we've been called. And so as we finish this lesson, and we spent a lot of the times, we, we saw our past, our present, and our future, but most of the study has been on the present tense, our Christian life, and all of that. So let me give you a brief overview, and if on your handout it says the three aspects of our sanctification, if you remember, there's first of all our position, that's past tense, and that's with, that we have been set apart. Have been set apart. And so that happens the moment we believe. And then if you notice, I've got progressive. Our progressives, that's present tense. And this is the Christian life. And this is that we are being set apart. And then there's the third one, which we've got is ultimate. And that's, of course, future. And we will be set apart. 
And so uh, the emphasis in this study, we've gone through all of these and touched on them, but the emphasis really is the middle one, is the Christian life, and that's growing to be like Jesus Christ. That's what we call progressive sanctification. That's kind of the key. Now, if you notice on your handout, I've got one of the things that we saw as the key verse that makes a difference is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he basically says, offer our lives as living sacrifices. And then he says, stop being what? Conformed to this world and be transformed. And I think we should never forget that because this is the key. The world is shaping us. If we're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, we will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And so Paul writes in Romans 12, offer your lives. Offer, and remember what, what we said. It wasn't just our lives. He said, offer our bodies. And we spent a good bit of study on that aspect of it. He says, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Stop being conformed, shaped by this world, but be transformed. Then we looked at four areas at the bottom of your first page. We looked at the four areas, and that was over the last two lessons, we looked at our bodies, our time, our possession, and our abilities. And if you remember, so we talked about our bodies, and that's purity. We talked about our time, and that's to take control. Uh, you know, that we decide, we, we know that we're limited time in the sense that our lives are just vapors. We know that he teaches us to number our days, but we're to use wisely, take control of our time and use it wisely. Then we talked about possessions and to realize that we're stewards. Everything we have comes from God, and boy, we're really realizing it now when you got to stay in your house all the time, and you, you, you know, and some people don't have jobs, and people are wondering, you know, what am I going to do? And, and then the last thing was our abilities, which was talents and gifts. What talents do you have, and then what spiritual gifts do you have? So we spent uh, some lessons looking at those areas, and so over these last weeks, we've really highlighted this whole idea of living out who we are and all of those things, of walking worthy of the calling and living as a holy one and a child of God and a, and a saint. And whenever you say living as a saint, sometimes people, uh, they get confused about that because remember we've had people say, oh, they're a saint. And, and then somebody, but a saint just means a set-apart one. So every believer is a saint. Well, as we end this, less, uh, this study, there's three areas. If you go to the top of the next page, there's three things we're going to do in this lesson. Number one, we're going to look at our responsibility. Okay, number one, we're going to look at our responsibility and, and see how all that ties together. Then, number two, we're going to see the charge. And the charge is the exhortation. What does God want us to do? Okay? And then the third thing we're going to look at is how do we do it? And it's, it's going to talk about the armor of God. Now, we, we've studied that a number of times in our church over the years, but I think it's important that we look at it in this. So three things. Our responsibility, the charge that he's given us to do, it basically, and then how do we do that? So let's start with responsibility. And what is our responsibility? We live in a world that basically says me. From the time you're born, you come into this world as a fallen human being, and all you say is me and mine, and everything centers around us. And as you grow up as a child, what you have to do is you have to actually teach people that the world doesn't revolve around them, although even we say that, but we still think it does. And so we have to change our view on how we look at things. And so we really hear, 
because we belong to Jesus Christ and we're to serve him. And so when you think about our responsibility, 2 Corinthians 5, 5 verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. And an ambassador is one who represents. And so we represent Jesus Christ. I always think about this because whenever I think of an ambassador, I, I think of an ambassador like to Great Britain or something like we, we're, we're from the United States, but we go live in, in, in England, you know, and we're ambassador. And so we 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 represent someplace, we live somewhere else, but we represent and do something somewhere else. When you think we're about ambassadors, Christ, where is our home? Our home is actually in heaven. But where do we live? We live in a fallen world. So we represent Jesus Christ in a fallen world. So that's Second Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ as though he were beseeching through us. And so we realize that we go through this life. We're not here for us. I know it's really hard. I think it's the hardest thing because you wake up in the morning and you think about, what am I going to do today? What do I want to do? But in reality, we should wake up and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Those kind of things. And so with that in mind, at, at you hand out... Does it? Your handout says First Corinthians six two. I think it says that it should say First Corinthians four two. First Corinthians four two. That's just as typed wrong there. And so it's First Corinthians chapter four verse two. And let let me just read it, it to you. It says, "Let a man regard us in this manner as." And in fact, it, it should say First Corinthians four one and two. If in fact, if you would do that on your piece of paper, put First Corinthians four one and two. And listen what this says: "Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God." In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards to be found trustworthy. So we're to be known as what servants and stewards. Servants meaning we're serving Jesus Christ, of course, and stewards mean we're responsible to use wisely what he's given us. And that's when he goes on to say, more is required of a steward that you've got to be what? You've got to be faithful. That's why when you stand before him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So 1 Corinthians 4, 1 2, it basically says, here's your responsibility. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. You're responsible as a steward to use wisely what he has given to us because we're ambassadors. So the very first thing we see in our responsibility, we're an ambassador. So we, we, are, we represent him. And we're to be servants and stewards. Serving him and using wisely all that he's given us. So that's when you think about our responsibility. There's a lot there uh, when, you, when you think about it that way. Okay, now with that in mind, so our responsibility, we're representatives, servants of Christ. That takes us to number two, and that is what's the charge? What are we supposed to do? Flip over to Philippians. You're in 1 Corinthians. Flip over to Philippians. We've seen this before in the study. In fact, some of the things in this last lesson, there are things we've touched on in the past, like the Romans 12, 1 and 2, like the Philippians passage. And so I want you to look at Philippians 2, 12 through 15, and it's a powerful statement as we talk about walking worthy. Let me read, if you look at it with me, he says, So then, my beloved, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He's in prison, and he writes to me, he says, So then, so then my beloved, just as you've always obeyed. He said, you've always obeyed the Bible. Not so much in my presence only, not just when I was there, but now much more even in my absence. Because Paul's in prison and there in Philippi. He says, you've always obeyed the Bible even when I'm not there. He says, here's what I want you to do. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who is at work in you both to will and to work from his good pleasure. So the charge in Philippians 2 
two is a dual aspect. If you notice at the bottom of the page, the dual aspect, it is our actions and God's power. He says, you work out your salvation. That's your part because it's God who is both will and to work. It's God's power. It's God's action. So it's a dual aspect. What we do, what God does. A lot of times people say the Christian life is let go and let God. And sometimes people say the Christian life is you got to do it. But the Bible actually says the Christian life is dual. It's we work out our salvation for us. God is working in us. That's a dual aspect of this thing. So as we've obeyed in the past, he says to the Philippians, as you've obeyed in the past, continue to do that. Work out. Let's talk for just a second before you leave that page and go to another page. When he says work out your own salvation, we know that that doesn't mean work for your salvation. And we're talking the salvation in this passage is the Christian life salvation. And so when he says work out your salvation, he says take from the inside, work it out. Who are you on the inside? You're a new creation in Christ. He says work that out. Live out who you are as a believer. Let our lives show that because we're a new creation in Christ. So he says, work out your salvation, and this salvation is the Christian life salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. This is Christian life salvation. So he says, work it out. And then the second thing is it's God's power, for it is God who has work in you, both the will and the work of his good pleasure. It is the sovereign God who is working this out. The sovereign God who is working His will and His work. So there's a lot of good things there. And so when you think about that passage so far, you see, uh, work out our salvation. And and on the top of that page where it says, work out our salvation, what does that mean? That means uh, Christian life salvation. And then He is the one who wills and works. That's His power. So you have those two things there. Now with that in mind, He gets practical. And I mean really practical, because when we think about spiritual things, we always say things like, you know, read the Bible and be holy and everything. But look what he says when he says, work out your salvation. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. (laughs) So we would think about it. Now, where is Paul when he writes this? He's in prison. He's writing to the Philippians. Now, they've they've been persecuted. Uh, the, all of the churches that Paul went to, whether it's Thessalonica, you know, Thessalonica or the Philippian church or the, the Galatian region, all of those experienced persecution. And so when he's writing this, he's in prison. They're not in prison, but they're being persecuted. And so he writes to them and he says, listen, as you've always obeyed, live it out. It's God who's working. And look, do things without grumbling or disputing. Do things without grumbling or disputing. It is so easy to even say something like, i got to go up to the church and help with this. Like, what? oh, you don't want to? Are you mad about going up there? Are you grumbling? Well, no, no, I, I just, you know. I mean, it's, that's the way we are sometimes. And or we'll say something like, I've got to uh, go up and greet it this week. i got to greet this Sunday. Oh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Are you excited about greeting? Or, you know... Somebody said, i got to put together three Bible studies. Really? Are you sad about that or happy about that? Do all, all things without grumbling and complaining. And then I love this next verse because here's what he says. Do all things without grumbling and complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as what? Lights in the world. And so I've got children of God. We appear as what? 
as lights. Think about it. He calls us blameless and innocent. Now, let's think about it. In our position, we're blameless and innocent. In our progressive, our progression, we're not always. He says, do that. Be that way. He says, listen, do all things without grumbling and complaining so you can show yourself to be a blameless and innocent child of God. When you live out that certain way, it shows who you are. We don't show who we are by the clothes that we wear, by all the rules we make up. We show who we are by our love for God and love for others and that we're not grumbling or disputing, but we're working out our salvation, God working through us so that we shine as lights. And I like how he says it, so that in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you appear as lights in the world. And that's who we are. And that's who we got to appear as, lights in the world. This fallen world's in darkness. We, we're in light. Light makes the difference. And so we appear as lights in the world. So here's the charge so far. Live out our position. Live it out so we can be lights in the world. We've seen our responsibility. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech. And we're to be servants and stewards of God. That's our responsibility. What is the charge? Live out who you are. Be lights in the midst of a fallen world. Live out who we are. Work out our salvation. So we say, wow. So, so far, we've got... Who we are, ambassadors and, you know, ambassador for Christ, servants and stewards. We've got what we're to do. We're to live out who we are. That takes us to the third area. And that's where, where you know, the rubber meets the road and how we're going to do all this. And that takes us to the armor of God. Now, a lot of times when you think about the armor of God, uh, everybody says, oh, I know that. That's Ephesians 6. And and so if you want to go ahead and turn over, you're in you're in Philippians. Just kind of turn back one to Ephesians chapter six. And by the way, I want I want you to do something just for a second. We talked about this all through the lessons that when you read the Bible, especially the New Testament letters, they're written to believers and they're telling believers who they are. And how they should live. Now that's, that confuses a lot of people. A lot of people think all these letters are telling everybody how to get saved. They're written to believers. And if you think about it, you remember we said Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 tells you who you are. Chapters 12 through 16 tell you how to live. Philippians chapters 1 and 2 tell you who you are. And chapters 3 and 4 tell you how to live. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell you who you are in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell you how to live it out. If you remember chapter 4 starts... Be, be a walk worthy of the calling which you've been called. Chapter 5 begins with be imitators of God as beloved children. And middle way through chapter 5, he then gets specific. Wives, here's what you do. Husbands, here's what you do. Parents, here's what you do. Children, here's what you do. Workers, here's what you do. Owners, master, masters and slaves, here's what you do. And he goes all the way through this. And he's saying, this is how you live. And then he gets to the end. And this is where it gets powerful for us. Okay, so we say, okay, we, we got it. We got it. So how do we do all this? He's going to give us Ephesians 6. But I want you, before you go there, remember what we talked about. This is how we do it. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in... Word or deed, and we put words or deeds, I bet it this way. The words would be what? It would be our message, 
If you want to write that, you're at the bottom of the page, and it says words. You want to put out beside that the message, which is the gospel message, and, and also uh, what comes out of your mouth. You know, wholesome words, not unwholesome words. And so that's our message. And that could be first Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Those kind of things. Uh, but it's also our deeds. That's our actions. And that's our lifestyle. And so when you think about who we are, and we say, it's what we say, it's the message we get to proclaim. You know, I, I've talked about this before, and, we, and I think the problem that I see with Christians, when I say problem with Christians, is it see, the world sees us as what we're against and not what we're for. And, and so when we talk about our words, they all say, oh, you're opposed to abortion, you're opposed to gays, you're opposed to this. And we say, no, 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 we love God and love people. This is what we're all about. We're all about loving God and loving people, and yet that never it doesn't come across right and necessarily. So he says, whatever you do in your words, what you say, and your deeds, your actions, this is what you do. And uh, Titus three at the very bottom of that page where where it says how Titus three says do good works, do good works. With that in mind, you can go to the top of the next page, and we're going to talk about the armor. Because let me review. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians is who we are in Christ. Chapter 4 begins, walk worthy the calling. Chapter 5 says, be imitators of God. Chapter 5, verses 21 goes, wives, husbands, parents, children, slaves, masters. And then he gets to the part and says, now, how do we do all this? How do we live out all of this? And so if you notice, I've got there for you Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, and Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. The 10 through 13, if you want to write out beside there, it's the charge. And the charge is to stand strong in God's power. By the way, that's the only way. You know, the charge is to live it out as ambassadors and stewards. And so how are you going to do this? There's a charge that says, stand strong in God's power. And that's the only way we can do it, because apart from Him, we can do nothing. In Him, we can do all things. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says, stand strong in God's power. That's the charge. And then 14 through 17, Ephesians 6, 14 through 17 says, put on the armor of God. And that's how you stand strong. And so I think, you know, a lot of people take for granted, they've heard the the Ephesians 6 passage, they've heard the armor of God passage, and they go, well, I've heard the armor of God's passage. And I say, yeah, but are we applying the armor of God passage? That's really the key. So let's take a look at it, and let's look first at the charge. And that's going to be verses, uh, oh, basically uh, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Look what he says in 10, finally. And this is, he summed it all up now, because he's been telling us how to live. Husbands, wives, parents, children, slaves, masters, uh, walk worthy to call in, be imitators of God, all of that. And he says, now finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And what the battle is, be strong in, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So the charge there is, we're talking about is strong, and then he says it. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And so if you want to put, put on the what? Full armor of God. Now, by the way, there was a word that was for armor, and it, and it would say, put on armor. But there was also a Greek word that had the word, had a different word at the very front, which meant 
full armor or complete armor. So he's not saying, go get you a sword or go get you some good shoes or go get you a shield. He's saying, you got to go get every bit of the armor of God. And that's kind of, I think, the key. So he says, put on the full armor of God. The word put on actually means to clothe yourself. He says, wrap yourself with the armor of God. And, you know, we think about getting up and putting on a shirt or putting on a coat or something. He's saying, put on the armor of God. And then, he, he, remember how he says it back in verse 10 again? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Now, here's the question. Why? Why put on the full armor of God? Notice the answer. He says, For put on the full, this is verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We did a study, and I think it's, it was a year ago or more, when we did Angels and Demons. And we really spent a lot of time looking at the demons and the spiritual battle that we're in. And a lot of times we don't realize that. He says you got to put, you got to stand strong in God's strength. How do you do that? You put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We'll be able to stand strong against the schemes of the devil. What are the schemes of the devil? I mean, what is he talking about? He's basically saying, you know, you've got to stand strong in God's strength. How do you do that? Well, you've got to put on God's armor. Why? So that you can be able to stand firm against the tricks of the devil. The word schemes, I've got it there. What are the schemes of the devil? The word schemes means lies. It means tricks. It means that he's going to try to fool you. And he always does that. I mean, he's brilliant because he's the most, besides Michael the archangel, I think probably Lucifer besides Michael, is probably the most powerful angel. I mean, there's, probably, there's a bunch of good angels that are probably not as powerful as Satan is. We know Michael's stronger because Michael kicks him out uh, of heaven. But when we think about Lucifer, he said, look, put on a full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. What are some of the schemes of the devil? Well, let me give you something. You, don't have, you can just write some of this down if you want to. But one is that one of his schemes is that he wants people to think he doesn't exist. There are a bunch of people out there who say there's no such thing as the devil. They also say there's no such thing as God. Usually the people who say there's no such thing as God also say there's no such thing as the devil. And they'll say something like the devil is something that people made up to excuse their wrongdoing. So Satan's plan is that I don't want you to believe in me. That's one of my schemes is you don't even think I exist. So I can affect you and you don't even know it. The second thing, and this is just all under there, is that he... Um, he wants unbelievers never to trust him. Never to, I'm sorry. He wants unbelievers never to trust Jesus. That's what he wants. Unbelievers never to believe in Jesus. That's his scheme. He may say that there is no Jesus, or Jesus wasn't God, or Jesus didn't really exist, or that Jesus didn't really die. It's just all been made up. These are all stories. Jesus was just a good man. He, he just doesn't want somebody to believe in him for eternal life. What he actually says is, be good and God will love you. Because he, he, he's a liar. He's a liar. So be good and God will love you. The third thing, and this is just all under this, that you can write it out to the side, you can do anything, is that what he wants to do is this. He wants believers that when we fail, he thinks, he wants us to think that God, that God won't use us anymore. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, you know, I did good, but then I've, I've really messed up, and, you know, God's not going to use me anymore. That's not from God. 
That's from the devil. God never says, I'm not going to use you anymore. God says, I, as long as I got you on this earth, I can use you as my instrument. And so the devil says, now, once you blow it, let me ask you something. Who, who, who in the Old Testament was famous for blowing it? You, you think of, of David, okay? And so David, what's, what does God call David? A man after his own heart. I mean, but he blew it. But David, David never stopped serving. Moses? Moses blew it, spent 40 years in the backside of the desert, then spent another 40 years dragging the people around, and he blew it toward the end by hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock. But he, he, God used him to the very last day of his life. So the devil says, if you mellow it, God won't ever use you. And then another thing that he does that I think one of his schemes is that sin's really not that bad. I mean, sin's not that bad. I mean, it really won't hurt you. I mean, you, you, I mean, what it is is, see, God doesn't want you to enjoy anything. Just like, don't eat that fruit. Well, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. Well, don't look over there. Well, God doesn't really want you. He, he wants you not to enjoy life. So that's the schemes of the devil. Luther wrote in that great song, His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel aid on earth is not his equal. That's from A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I always loved that, that story. Now, let me tell you some truths. Uh, he wants people to not think that he exists. He does exist. He's an evil angel. He wants unbelievers never to trust God. He wants them to think, be good, and God will love you. No, you can't be good, and God already loves you. He wants believers to feel like that when you fail, it's over with. God says, I've created you to do good works, so do it. And then he wants us to think that sin can't hurt us. And God says, sin will kill you. It'll kill you. It'll take you further, cost you more, and it's never it's never as good as you think it is, and it, it'll always destroy you. So that's the schemes of the devil, and he's just waiting to get every one of the believers, and he's waiting to fool every believer, unbeliever. And so when we say armor of God, he says this, listen, based on everything I taught you, you be strong in the Lord. And how do you do that? You've got to put on the complete armor, the full armor of God. Why? Because you've got to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that's how he starts. And the reason he says that is because the next verse tells us why. And the next verse says this. We're in a spiritual battle. Who is the battle against? He says, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. People are not the enemy. They're not who we're fighting. It's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he says, put on the armor of God so you can stand. Why? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil because we're not fighting people. We're fighting a spiritual enemy. We're fighting a spiritual being. This is really something. So, uh, it, so who is the battle against? It's a spiritual battle. It's against. It's not flesh and blood. It's against a a, a, a bad angel. And and by the way, the word struggle there, or when he says, "For our struggle is not against flesh and blood," the word struggle means hand to hand battle. That was the word that they used when they were fighting hand to hand and all of that stuff. And so, notice he says against wicked forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So when you see this, what there's there it is. And so what do you have? So far we have the charge. Be strong in God's power. How? Put on the armor of God. Why? So we can stand against spiritual 
beings against the devil because we're in a spiritual battle. Okay, everybody, everybody got that? I'm thinking that that you, you you know he's he's told us here's what here's who we are. Here's what we're supposed to do. Here's how we do it. And the charge is stand strong. How? In the armor. Why? Because we have a devil is the is the enemy, and it's a spiritual battle. And see, that's the thing. We we act like that we're not in a battle. We act like we're not fighting. We act like that that we we don't even have an enemy. We have an enemy we can't even see. It's sort of like the coronavirus. Everybody's so afraid that everybody's going to get it because you can't see it, and it just. But we got an enemy that we can't see, and he is. Much more wicked than any virus, let me tell you that. And so uh, what we see, there's the charge. So in 10 through, uh, and, and he comes back at the end. Let me, let me throw this out. Therefore, in 13, notice what he does. Therefore, he's summing up these last few verses. Therefore, and he almost says exactly the same thing. Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having everything to stand. Have you noticed that in verse 10 he says stand, in verse 13 he says stand. Verse 11 he says put on the full armor of God. In verse 13 he says put on the full armor of God. In verse 11 and 12 he says we're fighting against the devil. In verse 13 he says you're fighting against the evil one resisting in the evil day. So basically verse 13 is, is, put, is basically a summary. We put on the armor so that we can what? Resist. We can stand. We can be strong. So there's no there's no easy thing about this, and if we think there is, and, and let me tell you, most everybody says get to the armor. Listen, the first part's the key. The first part is you got to put it on. Why? You got to stand strong in God's power. How do I do that? Put on the armor. Why? Because I'm in a spiritual battle against the devil and against the fallen beings, and that's why summary of thirteen is therefore. Here's the summary. Take up the armor so you'll be able to resist the evil day and stand firm. That's the key. Now, with that in mind, let's see the armor. And most of you say, well, I know the armor. I've heard it all my life, of course. But it, it, we need to think through it, and let's see the armor. And notice how he starts. Stand firm, therefore. He's telling you how to stand. And so what, what do you do? And the very first piece of armor is in verse 14. And he says, having girded your loins with what? The truth. The truth. And he's, we'd say today, put on the belt of truth. Uh, girding the loins. In those days, uh, you can't see me, but in those days they had... Uh, they had like a, a, a what they call a tunic, and they would have a place for your head and a place sometimes for your arms, and then it would usually come down almost some of them to, the, to almost to your feet, and some of them halfway down. But if you were going to run or if you were going to fight, you had a belt and you had a sword in your belt. But if you were going to fight, you'd come down and you'd pick up and you'd tuck in the bottom part so that when you start fighting, you don't step on it and get tripped up. And so to gird up, as they say, the loins, or this one says, therefore having girded your loins with the truth, he's saying as you're getting ready to fight, you better put on the truth. Put on the belt of truth. And so the first aspect is the belt, and that wrapped around us, and it is the truth. The truth holds everything together. All of it, as we get ready to fight, as we get ready to stand strong, as we get ready to, to live in a fallen world, the first thing we got to have is the truth. It holds everything together. The truth is found in three places, three big areas. Number one, Jesus Christ is the truth. 
John 14, 6, what does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus Christ is the truth. That's number one. Number two, God's word is the truth. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. So Jesus is the truth, the word is the truth, and I get, you can almost guess this last one, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And that's John 14, 17. So when you think about the truth, Jesus is the truth, the Word of God is the truth, and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Now, you know why truth is so important? Because the devil is a liar. That's why. In uh, John 14, verse 11, uh, well... um, he, if you look at verse 11 of Ephesians 6, he's, he's got schemes, which we said means lies. That's who he is. He's a liar. So the very first armor is the truth. And we would say, well, the truth is the Word of God. The truth is the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth is Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Then there's a second thing. It's called the what? The breastplate of righteousness. So let me read it. He says, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the second thing is being righteous. And the breastplate of righteousness. Now let's start. stop for a minute and think about a person that we, we now put on uh, a belt which is the truth, which is going to hold everything together. Now we got this breastplate, which we're calling it righteousness. As you know, the breastplate was strong enough to stop uh, swords or spears. Sometimes an arrow might penetrate it, but sometimes might not penetrate it. Sometimes you'd get hit. They sometimes had what they call mail, which were these chains in front of it. And so if somebody tried to hit you, it didn't go through the breastplate. So it was sometimes made out of leather, sometimes made out of metal. And so the breastplate was the key because if you got hit in the chest, I mean, it's sort of like a bulletproof vest nowadays that policemen wear that in case somebody shoots them sometimes a bulletproof vest will stop the bullet well in that day and time the breastplate uh, would stop it well then he calls it the blessed breastplate of righteousness and he basically says be clothed in righteousness now when we talk about righteousness i'm gonna uh, for those you know of course listening i'm gonna write something on the board when we think about righteousness there's two different aspects of righteousness, okay? The first one, I've got it on your sheet. The first one is God's righteousness that he's given to us. Every believer has God's righteousness. That's Romans 4, 5. To him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. God gives us his righteousness. So that's why we say that the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we are holy. We are righteous, That's what we call positional sanctification. That's what we also call justification. We are righteous people, so we have God's righteousness. There's a second aspect of righteousness there, which is to live out our righteousness. And this is really the Christian life. And this is what we're talking about. This is to to walk worthy of our calling. This is to live out who we are. We're righteous people. This would be our progressive sanctification. This is saying, live out who you are. This is the Christian life. This is the first one. The believer has God's righteousness. That's the moment of salvation. And that's justification salvation. This is the Christian life. And this is sanctification salvation. And this is who we are. And so we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So it's two ways to think about it. One, God has already given us his righteousness. That's the breastplate of righteousness. But at the same time, we're to live out this righteousness. 
And uh, I love when you when you when you look to Titus chapter two, verse you know verse eleven goes back and says the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and to live righteously and godly in this present age. This is what putting on the breastplate of righteousness is. Because we have God's righteousness, we live out God's righteousness. So what have we got so far? We have a belt that holds everything together. And by the way, on that breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate, sometimes it would connect with the belt so that it wouldn't get moved around when you were fighting, that it was hung to the belt. And that's why the sword goes down in the belt. A lot of things go down in the belt that holds it all together. That's why we say the truth holds it all together. So, so far we got this belt, and then we got this, this breastplate that's attached, and that's what we've got so far. Now we got a third thing, and that's found in verse 15. Look what he says. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of Peace. So the third thing is feet shod with the gospel of peace. Now, when a Roman soldier, what made them amazing is they had the best equipment of everybody in the world. And Roman soldiers would uh, had something sometimes almost like cleats. We all know that. I, I remember the first time I ever got a pair of cleats. You know, you had tennis shoes when you were a boy. But if you're going to play football, if you're going to be in some kind of sports, you got cleats, baseball cleats, football cleats. And they had little things on the bottom that would dig into the ground so that if you're running, you don't slip. Well, when the soldiers were fighting, they had... Uh, the Romans had kind of a sandal things, but they had things on the bottom that would stick in the ground. And that's the, the, they had uh, these shoes that had like cleats in them. Paul says, put on the, have your feet shod. In other words, put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. We all know what the gospel is. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we, and, and just as, the shoes, that's how we walk, that's where we go, that's where we get ready. Well, we take the gospel of peace. We take the good news message. And so we got uh, a belt that holds it together. We got the, the, she, the breastplate of righteousness. And now we got shoes on as we go forward, which has the greatest message. And we, we talk about this all the time. And you know what's been very fortunate for us for the last two weeks on Sunday morning, we've had really a lot of people uh, tuning in, and we've had two messages back to back on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And probably I presented the gospel probably more times in those two messages than I have in a lot of other times. I always present it, but a bunch in this because that is the message that saves. And so Paul says, You got to have the gospel, the gospel of peace. And when you say the gospel of peace, you could put down it's the gospel that brings peace because that's what it does. And there's two kinds of peace, which we always know. There's peace with God and peace of God. This is talking about the peace with God. The good news message that when a person trusts Christ, they go from being an enemy to being a child of God. They go from being in trouble, so to speak, to having peace with God. And so the gospel brings peace, and it's powerful. So, so far, we got a belt and a, she a breastplate and some good shoes, Okay. What else do we have? What else does he say? Well, as, as you get to the top of the next page it, or the, of your handout, he goes now, in addition to this, so far he got three things. He said, in addition to this, 
taking up the shield of faith. Now, I'll just stop right there for a minute, and you put down the shield of faith. Now, the, the shield was very important. We already know. The breastplate, you know, somebody shoot an arrow, somebody hit you, it's to stop it. You got the belt that holds it together. You got the, you can stand strong with shoes and everything. But here's the shield, and we've all seen all the movies and people carrying shields and swords and how they fought in those days and those kind of things. Well, the shield really stops things from hurting us, and it's even better than the breastplate in the sense that if something's coming over here, you can hold it up. You don't do a turnaround like that to block it. You've got a shield which could stop it. So the word here, the word here, there's several words for shield. And you've probably seen a movie where a guy has a round shield. And you say, and it's normally a smaller shield. And then you've probably seen in movies these big, long, rectangle shields. This is the word here. In addition, taking up the shield of faith. This is the large shield that covers completely. And we have a shield, and it's called the what? Taking up the shield of faith. Boy, I love this, because this is, this, is, this is the key. What is going to protect us, so to speak? And it goes back to faith. So what is faith? I have it on your hand out there. What is faith? Faith is taking God at His word. That's all it is. People want to say faith is some kind of act of this or faith is some kind of... Faith is actually taking God at His word. Faith is being persuaded of something. You know, if I said, do you think that's right? And you go, yeah, I think that's right. Well, then you're believing that. And that's what faith is. Believing is taking God at His word. If He says, I give you eternal life, and you say, do you have eternal life? And you go, I hope so. I said, you're not trusting. That's not faith. If He said, I give you eternal life, and you've trusted Him, do you have eternal life? And you say, yes, you're trusting Him. You're, you're, you're assured that that's exactly what he says. So God's word is full of truths and principles, and as faith, we basically live by those. That's why Paul says we walk by faith. So he says, take the shield of faith. Now, we stopped for a second. All I said was, in addition, taking up the shield of faith. Well, here's the question. Why have the shield of faith? Why? He says, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's the same thing, the wiles of the devil, that he's always trying to get us. This is, uh, this is the, 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 the thing he's throwing out at us all the time. He says you'll be able to extinguish, you'll be able to put out these fiery arrows. I, was, I saw, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's William Wallace movie. What is that? Braveheart. And these, these guys, they're shooting all these arrows at them. And all they do is they get down and they get up under their shields and the arrows are just hitting on top of the shields and not hitting the people. And, and that's what he's basically saying. you got a big shield and the arrows are going to come from the devil. And he's going to say things like, you're evil. Uh, you can't serve God. You're wicked. Uh, you're nothing. You didn't really trust him. You don't believe him. He doesn't believe you. You don't even really exist. And, and they, they're shooting them all the time. And by faith, we can stop. You know why? You know why? Listen to this. Listen to this. All things work together for good. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He'll supply all our needs. We can do all things through Christ. Those Those are truths from the Word of God which will extinguish the flaming errors because they're, it's living by faith. And so we must trust God's Word. That's what faith is, taking God at His Word. That's what it is. And so think of what we got so far. We got a belt. We got a big old breastplate thing, a chest protector, so to speak. We got good shoes, and now we got this big old shield, a big old shield. 
But we're not through. Got just a couple more. Look what he says in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. The word helmet literally means to go around. That's what it means. It means it's something wrapped around your head. Listen, I can remember when... I can't remember it very well, but I can remember football players uh, without face masks. I can't remember them without helmets. I do remember some leather helmets. When I started being around football, they had plastic helmets with small face masks on them. And nowadays, they're, uh, the, the helmets are amazing compared to the old days. But this is what a helmet does, and he calls it the helmet of salvation. And I think he means this idea of we're putting on this aspect that we are saved. And if you remember from the very beginning, God's plan of salvation is thorough and complete. There's a three-phase plan of salvation. We have been saved. Number one, we have been saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. Every one of us who are listening to this, who have trusted Christ, we have been saved. We've been saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. That's past tense, by the way. And that's called, if you want to write out beside that, that's called justification. Okay? And then the second three-phase plan of salvation is we are being saved from the power of sin. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin, because the wage of sin is death. We're not going to die. But then we are being saved from the power of sin. That's daily. And that's present tense, by the way. And that's called what? Sanctification, which is our whole study. You know, especially the Christian life aspect of sanctification. And then the third phase of the three-phase plan is we will be saved from the presence of sin. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. That's future. We will be saved. And that's also called glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved from the presence of sin. Past tense, present tense, future tense. We have the whole aspect of salvation. So when he says, take the helmet of salvation, we, we even in this class, our emphasis was on present tense salvation, which we'd call sanctification, that kind of thing. But when you put on the the helmet of salvation, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It's past, present, future. You've already been saved from the penalty of sin. You're going to be saved from the power of sin. I mean, you are being saved from the power of sin, and you will be saved even from the presence of sin. So we've got a lot of powerful stuff there. And then now we got the last one, and this is verse 17. So he says, take the helmet of salvation, and here it is, the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and by the way, there's a, a Greek word. You don't have to write this down, but the Greek word for sword there is makaira. And that was the sword the Roman soldiers used. And if you've ever seen the movies, the Roman soldiers had these shorter swords, and they were two-edged. And a lot of people had these long, curved swords. You've seen the movies, and they got the, and they'll swing, and the Roman soldier, they'd miss the Roman soldier, and he'd just go cut the people to pieces because all he had to do was go back and forth, and he cut you twice. And, and so that, they say that that sword is what conquered the world, the Roman sword called the Machaira. And here it is, he says, and take the sword of the Spirit. We got that sword, and it's a double-edged sword. And that's why... Uh, 
if you, if you, I got Hebrews 4.12 on your sheet there. And I said, for the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any what? Two-edged sword. That's Makaira. That's it. And, and so the word of God never, it, it always, it's never off balance. It cuts both ways. It's alive. It's active. It's God's revelation. It's the key. It, and so we got the two-edged sword. I love this. And, and remember what the verse says? It says, uh, you know, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the vision of the soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It goes right to us. And it judges not only what we think, but why we think it. Think about how powerful that is. So, we got a belt, and we got a breastplate. That's attached to the belt. And the belt is truth and holds everything together. And the blessed plate is righteousness. And then we got these great shoes that can anchor in. And it's the gospel message, the gospel that brings peace. And then we got this giant shield, which all the errors and flaming things come and hit us. And it blocks them off. And then what do we have? Then we have the helmet. And we, and we put that thing on. And, and then we have the sword. And by the way, the sword goes down in the belt. And when you get ready to fight... You gird up, you take that thing, and you tuck it in here, and you pull your sword out, and you get your shield out. And a lot of people, when you read this, and you, and you, you read it, and you go, oh, yes, now we're going to fight the devil. We don't. No, no. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? Stand. We're not, we're not going after it. We're not going after him. We're putting on the full armor of God. And the Bible talks about that we stand firm. We draw near to God and he will draw near to us. We don't, go, don't, we don't draw near to the devil to fight him. We draw near to God. And so in Ephesians, we've seen this picture. And, and let me just tell you something. Here's what's so amazing. Listen to Romans 13, 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you put on... The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the armor of God. Listen, is he the truth? Is he our righteousness? Is he the good news message? Is he the one in which we have our faith? Is he the one that brings salvation? Is he the word? Now, I'll go back over that for you because that's so good. It's the top of the last page. Think about this. The armor of God. Let me, let me, I'm going to write something down. So, so far we've had what? The truth, put on the belt of truth, then what? And then the breastplate of righteousness, and then the gospel, the good news, and then a shield of faith, and then the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, do we realize when he says in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, so he's the truth. Jesus is our righteousness. That's what the Bible says in Corinthians. He's the good news message. The good news message about Jesus who died and rose again. He is the one that we put our faith in. He is the one that brings salvation. And He is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when you think about the armor of God, not only do we think about the armor of God and what all of these things are, but we can realize that Jesus Christ is. When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're putting on the armor of God. So we've seen a lot of good things. Well, we're bringing to a close, and let's look at 
applications. I just put four applications. They're just basic, basic things that ties into our, cla our class as a whole, but also this lesson. Number one is let's stand strong for Jesus Christ. We have to stand strong for Jesus Christ. And think about this. Uh, why, because we are his representatives. Remember, we're ambassadors for Christ, as God did beseech us. We are his representatives in a fallen world, so we have to stand strong for Christ. Number two, we must offer our lives in service. Number two, we must offer our lives in service. And if you want to put it down, don't be conformed, but be transformed. <laughs> I love it. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. It's so easy to be conformed because you don't have to do anything to be conformed. You have to do something to be transformed. You know, I don't say that near enough. You know, we always say if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to the world. But the truth is, to be conformed to the world, you have to do absolutely nothing. To be transformed, you have to make a decision that you're going to put the Word of God in your brain and live it out. So it's it's harder it's harder, because if you don't do anything, you'll automatically be conformed to the world. The third one is, let us walk worthy of our calling. Let us walk worthy of our calling. And of course, our calling, we're children of God. We, that's who we are. We're saints. We're to walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom. We're to walk worthy. We're to, all of those things that we've seen over all these weeks, there's just so much there that we want to live as, as worthy men and women as we represent our Savior. And then last but not least, put on the armor of God so we can stand. Put on the armor of God so we can stand. Now when you think about the Christian life, and you think about being a saint, we know that we have been set apart in Christ as justification. We are holy and blameless. We are being set apart day in and day out. That's present tense. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus. We will be set apart when Jesus Christ comes and gets us, and we'll be holy in that sense, and that's called glorification. Most of the lessons of being a saint dealt with progressive sanctification, and we offer our lives. We walk worthy. We put on the armor. We live out who we are. We offer, uh, we live in such a way that Jesus Christ gets glorified. And that's what we try to do so we make a difference for Christ. So, may we live out progressively our position in Christ as we look forward to His coming and our ultimate sanctification in Christ. Live out progressively our position, who we are, as we look forward to His coming and our ultimate sanctification.